All right. Well, can everyone hear me okay? Everything? Okay, that's the, that, that, that's the first test. Um, we will be having a uh, parent participation um, part up here, so I'm just going to randomly call out people to come up and talk about their worst fears in parenting, so that's what these chairs are up here for. Um, no, that's not, not at all true. A uh, little bit about uh, myself uh, as we kind of kick off here. Um, this month marks 21 years uh, as a counselor for me, and I, have, I was originally born and raised in Colorado. Uh, I moved out here. That's where I met uh, my wonderful wife, Naomi, and uh, we got married, and I have been a counselor for my entire professional career. Now, I started off working in a psychiatric hospital uh, in uh, Denver, in, back in Colorado, and uh, that has a uh, very uh, high burnout rate uh, working in psychiatric hospitals. And so I was there for about two and a half years. I did my master's degree in the Denver area, and then we moved out here uh, in February of 2005. And uh, I wanted to be a little bit on the proactive side of things. Um, I, I jokingly tell people that when you work in psychiatric hospitals, there's no good days, okay? Uh, you have okay days, you have bad days, and you have dumpster fire days, okay? Uh, it's a psychiatric hospital, after all. And so I wanted to be a little bit more proactive, so I became an elementary school counselor, and I worked as an elementary school counselor for eight years. Um, I was uh, in a building. I was one of two men in an entire building of women. And so uh, at first I thought, what in the world am I getting myself into? Uh, but then it became a very, very unique gift uh, because uh, most people who seek counseling or who initiate counseling are women. And uh, that's because women are kind of, they kind of have a temperature gauge for relationships. They have their finger on the pulse. And so uh, that was actually a very helpful time. And then uh, 10 years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to start Peace Partnership. And what Peace Partnership is, is Peace Partnership offers high-quality, low-cost counseling to families and kids who just otherwise would not be able to afford it. And so that's what I've been doing. That's my full-time gig, and that's what I've been doing for the past uh, 10 years. And also, something that is very, very important to me, I enjoy counseling, and I enjoy counseling because I absolutely love helping people. I think that life is about different things to different people, and for me, life is about finding a way. And so I like helping people find a way. Uh, and I'm Irish, and so I have a tendency to be stubborn, and so I can really help people find a way whether they want to or not, okay? <laughs> uh, so I've spent a lot of time working uh, with uh, rascally teens, and uh, that's where we will be uh, spending some of our time today is in one aspect of that, okay? Uh, I love teenagers, and I love that age group, that demographic. I love that uh, you know, 14 to 22 age group. I really, really like that. Uh, that was a pivotal time in my life. I became a Christian when I was 18, uh, and I, uh, would be a good way to say it, um, up until that point, uh, worked on a testimony, uh, shall we say. Um, and so I really, really enjoy uh, helping uh, teens kind of uh, find their way. And I enjoy working with people. Working in counseling, I, I do a lot of work one-on-one -on -one with people. And so when I get the opportunity to help more than one person at a time, it's kind of a force multiplier. And so this is kind of a no-brainer whenever I get the opportunity to, to, uh, to, to speak to people. Um, some initial housekeeping items, and then we're going to kind of dive into the content uh, of what I'm here to talk about. Um, during our time together this morning, 
what my goal is. So like, what, John, what are you trying to do? Broad, macro type of a, of a thing. What are you trying to do? What I'm trying to do is I am trying to help you establish a relationship with something that's deeply, deeply profound. And in my opinion, what is more profound than the truth? And so that's what I'm here to help you with uh, today. I think that if you're going to help your kids, or if you are a teenager or, or plan on becoming a teenager, uh, if, if that is you, if you are going to successfully navigate the world, you are going to have to form a relationship with something deeply profound. Um, people in here, what we have, we, we kind of share a collective bond in that we are all a body of believers. That's what, it, that's what the truth is is to us. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so that's what I'm here is to, is to, is to kind of distill that down and narrow that down and discuss the truth in one specific area, which is technology. So that's my purpose this morning, okay? I, I like to, whenever I teach, um, I like to provide a, a, a layer of certainty to everybody here so that they know exactly what they're going to be getting, okay, and exactly the standpoint that I'm coming from. Um, I am going to be presenting the ideas that we're going to be talking about uh, this morning are going to be general ideas. They're not going to be specific, and that is by design. And the reason that I do that is because um, you will know your kids infinitely better than I will because I've never met them. And so I'm going to provide general ideas that will be applicable in a number of specific situations. So I'm going to provide you with principles, and then it's your job then to determine, okay, uh, John, that was really good. This, this, and this is going to work in our family, but because of the dynamics of our family, this is just not going to work. Okay? That's fine. That's fine. That's, that's, that's totally fine. Okay? I'm just here to, to, to give you tools for the toolbox. All right? Um, Another thing, there has always been or tends to always be uh, a thick thread, especially for parents, um, of shame that runs through these types of presentations. And the reason for that is because I'm going to be diving into some specifics, and the people that I talk to tend to think, well, I'm not doing any of that, and so I must be a failure. And let's all this morning collectively agree that we are going to set aside that sense of shame for the purposes of learning and understanding and growing. Because shame causes hiding. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. It has not changed since then, folks. So let's agree that we know that shame causes hiding. We're going to set that aside this morning, and we're going to set that aside for the purposes of growth that there's things that we need to understand about God's created structure of reality, and we're not going to learn those things, and we're not going to implement those things if we're constantly hiding, okay? So let's just all um, agree, agree on that, because I see that, that thread of shame um, run through a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, usually the negative go-to emotion uh, for women, so if you have a, a teenager who's a female, um, you'll need to know this, the negative go-to for women is guilt. Uh, they, they, they feel guilty about something, and that's how shame manifests itself in a woman's life. Uh, for men, oftentimes, uh, it's a, either a sense of regret or it's a sense of rebellion. 
okay? And that's usually how shame manifests itself in a man's life, okay? So if you, if you start to feel that, okay, just as I'm talking, just set that aside, okay? <laughs> like, we, 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 we're not going to go there. I tell people you can take a trip to the beach, you can take a trip to the mountains, but don't take a guilt trip, okay? Um, okay, uh, <clears throat> let's also collect, one more thing, uh, let's also collectively agree, uh, I have seen this multiple times, that good parents can have kids that make bad choices. And the reason for that is because there's this little fly in the ointment called free will. Uh, and that's a pervasive issue um, all throughout humanity. Okay? We, were given, we were given a choice in the garden, and a, a, a choice is always set before mankind. Okay, so um, oftentimes parents can say like, well, I'm, I'm implementing the, you know, the right things, but you know, my kid's just gone off, the, gone off the rails, gone off the tracks. Um, well, that's their choice. There is a, and remember this, okay? There is an undeniable relationship between freedom and responsibility. Those two things, and, and in our culture, we're constantly trying to divorce those, those two ideas, right? We want all the freedom, we want none of the responsibility, okay? Um, no. Uh, they're, they're always linked together, okay? To the level that you have a sense of freedom, commensurate with that is the level of responsibility that you will have in your life. That's usually how that works. If you have very low levels of freedom, chances are you have very low levels of responsibility, okay? Um, so, with that being said, uh, let's dive in here. Uh, there are some games in life that you only get to play if you're all in, all right? Uh, there was a developmental uh, psychologist, a Swiss psychologist uh, named uh, Dr. Uh, Jean Piaget. Isn't that a wonderful name, right? Uh, Jean Piaget. Uh, it's like if, if you could speak silk, that's what it would sound like, right? Uh, they're like, what's your name? John. I'm named after a restroom, like what, what, what are you going to do, you know? Um, yeah, like Dr. Jean Piaget. He was a developmental psychologist, and what he found, he was Swiss, what he found is, is through watching children play, he developed an idea called um, an equilibrated state, okay? Now, I said this last night, I'll say it to all of you this morning, uh, psychologists and mental health professionals like me, like we love our big words because it makes us sound smart, Okay. Um, all an equilibrated state is, is, is this. I'll describe it for you. So what, what uh, Dr. Piaget found is that he would watch children get together and play, and as they played, the, there, there, were, there were definitive steps in the process of the game. The first step is that they, the kids would get together and agree on what game is being played. They would agree on the rules of the game, they would assign roles, and then they would play the game. And so long as there was group consensus about who was doing what and the roles of the game, the game persisted. It continued. But the minute that somebody said, I'm not going to be a cowboy, I'm going to be an Indian, without the consensus of the group, the game broke down. Okay? Okay. Same thing if somebody says, I don't like the rules of this game. I'm going to decide to play this game by my own set of rules. The game collapsed. Okay? 
you have to know what type of game you're playing. We're going to get into that this morning. Okay? Parenting is one of the games that you, you have to be all in if you are going to play it and if you are going to have a hope or a prayer of succeeding. Okay? So it's a very, very uh, important thing uh, that, you're, that you're doing. Uh, if you choose to abdicate that role, I can guarantee you that there are a number of people out there who will take up that, and they will raise your child in the manner that they see fit. I see that all the time. I'm sure you guys have examples of that as well uh, in your own life. Uh, being a parent is an incredibly important job. Uh, it is wrought with joy, difficulties, and complexities. And today, my purpose is to provide you with valuable concepts and ideas that will help lighten your load. And the reason for that is, I, whenever I work with people, I like to stack the deck in their favor. Okay? I think that life is hard enough. We don't need to intentionally make it more difficult than it needs to be. So that's what I'm trying to do here this morning, okay? Um, you don't need to do it alone. I have talked with thousands and thousands of parents and they feel oftentimes like they're the only ones that's struggling with this certain specific situation. Friends, I am on the opposite side of that, and I can tell you right now, that is not true. One of the primary psychological features of shame that Satan uses in life is to isolate. It's not, it, it's, it's bad when you have to go through something bad, but it's really bad when you think that you have to go through something bad and you have to do it alone. That's really bad. But you don't. You don't have to do it alone. Now, the prerequisite for not doing something alone is humility. Okay? You have to pick up the phone and you have to call your friend and you have to say, I feel like dropping this kid off of an overpass. Like, you're going to have to talk me down here. Like, what in the world is going on? Have you ever dealt with this? Like, what is happening? Yeah, man, I feel you. Two years ago, we were going through the same thing with our daughter, with our son. Okay? There's a collective bond that all of you share. You're a parent. Okay? So don't think, that's, that's, that's the first subtle little lie that, that parents tend to believe that I see, um, is that they have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone at all. And, and I would encourage you not to, okay? And that collective bond that I've touched on just now, that's, that's your children. Um, and Christians share a collective goal to raise God-honoring kids, okay? Um, and by God-honoring, I mean... Kids that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, all right? They're responsible, they're uh, honest, they're generous, they're all of those things, okay? Now, uh, incidentally, one of the reasons why young people are leaving the church in this country in droves is because the day-to-day -day utility of the Christian faith is not demonstrated and articulated to them in a manner that they can understand, okay? So... That, that's one of the reasons why I'm here this morning is I want to help you guys and give you some, something that's, that's meaty, okay, that you can really sink your teeth into so that you can have some serious conversations uh, with your kiddo about this, or with your kiddo. That's an elementary schooler, elementary school um, counselor in me, your teen, 
Okay, don't call your teen a kiddo. That's, that's a bad day. Okay, so now that we know that we're, we're, we're in this game, um, what game are we playing? Okay, uh, you need to know two things. You know that the game is parenting. You need to know what's at stake, and you need to know the rules of the game. This is, again, this is Jean Piaget, okay? So first, let's take a brief look at what's at stake. And I uh, enjoy reading philosophy. I enjoy uh, that quite a bit, I think, uh, and I've always been very impressed uh, with people who have been able to come up with an idea that has stood the test of time. And it has been remembered for hundreds, or in some cases over a thousand years. And I've always thought that that was a very, very, very interesting idea that that someone could come up with an idea that was that profound. Uh, and then that led me to this idea, that the only way to come up with that level of, of idea, that, that something that's so profound, is to think God's thoughts after him. And don't think about that too long, because it'll bake your noodle, okay? But that's, that's where I'm at, okay, in my current understanding of that, um, is that God has these profound ideas out there, and every once in a while, there's someone who was born into this world that can articulate that, and I'm really interested to hear what those people have to say. And one of them, uh, and interestingly too, uh, God will use godless people in, to do that. <laughs> okay? uh, Friedrich Nietzsche was a classic example. Okay? Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche has done more to shape the Western world than probably anyone else. Very few people have read him. Uh, I read him, and then I get depressed when I read Nietzsche because I only understand about 60% of what he writes. Right? But then I feel better because I understand 60% of what he writes. Okay? Uh, well, uh, Albert Camus was another one. He was a French philosopher, and he said this with regards to what we're talking about. Okay? So here's what's at stake. There is only one really serious philosophical question, and that is suicide. Judging whether or not life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. Boy, is that not true. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now, that is the reigning question in your teen's life right now. Why in the world are teens, why has teen suicide skyrocketed? Well, we're going to look into that, okay? I'm going to talk about suicide, and no one really wants to talk about suicide, okay? Because I, I tell people that talking about suicide is kind of like staring at the sun, right? You don't want to do it for very long. Uh, people freak out, okay? Uh, I have to deal with this day in and day out. My specialization in my doctoral work is grief and trauma, and so I do a lot with this all the time. And so I am neck deep in this and have been for years and years and years. Okay, so I'm going to talk about this very candidly. Please do not mistake my candidness in talking about this for flippantness. Okay, that I'm not being flippant about suicide at all. It is a very serious issue. But we need to talk about this issue because, again, this is what's at stake in the game that you're playing. Okay? Um, when you talk to kids, and I, I, what I find is that teens want to talk about this issue, uh, but they just don't know how. 
And if you think back on it, I mean, is it any wonder? Like, did you know how to talk about like the most fundamental existential issue in life at 15? <laughs> I didn't, okay? So have an answer ready for your teens when they, when they want to talk about this, okay? A really, really effective way to talk about really serious issues uh, with your teen, uh, technology, suicide, um, well, pornography, okay, all of those issues is to talk about it in third person. Okay, that's a very, very effective route to talk about it. In other words, well, you know, um, yeah, uh, so-and-so's uh, son, they, they, were, they were, you know, kind of struggling with suicide too, and uh, here's, what, here's what worked for them, okay? It's such a touchy issue that if you address it directly, a lot of times, because your teenager views you as an authority figure in their life, they feel like you're lecturing them, okay? But if you can tell a story about someone else and illustrate a truth in, within that story, you're gonna have a much higher rate of success in communicating with them, okay? So that's a very, very effective way to do that. Um, when you talk about it, uh, there's this thing uh, my specialization prior to um, grief and trauma and my doctoral work was uh, neuropsychology. And I got out of that because it became increasingly clear that I was going to be locked in some lab somewhere in a university, uh, and I didn't want to do that. Uh, I enjoy working with people. And so I, I switched. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed my uh, coursework uh, in neuropsychology, and there's some fantastic findings. Um, well, I'll tell you one thing, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds, okay? Um, there's this thing called mirror neurons. And basically what mirror neurons are, uh, you can search on the internet, you can read all about it if you want to kind of geek out on it. Um, mirror neurons basically are exactly what they sound like. Uh, if you approach a conversation and you say, um, <clears throat> John, we need to talk. Please have a seat. Well, how do you think your teen's going to respond to that? This is a big deal. That right there, friends, is mirror neurons at work. Okay? If you approach it like that, they're going to receive it like that. But if you approach it like, hey, um, there seems to be this kind of this serious issue running rampant in your age group. Um, what do you make of that? Well, they're going to approach it like that. They're going to approach it very matter-of-factly. And what that does is approaching a conversation that way, it broadens a person's perceptual field. Okay? They, they get in that fight, flight, or freeze type of a thing, and that narrows a person's perceptual field. It's like looking at the issue through a straw, a giant straw, and you can't take into account any other information. You're just focused on fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, when is this, for teens, usually it's like, oh, when is this conversation going to be over? Right? That's what they do. Okay, they just check out. Okay? So if you can, if, if you can handle a situation differently, it will be received differently. Um, the other reason uh, to talk about suicide uh, with your teenager in a very matter-of-fact way uh, is because what I have seen happen is that if, if at any point the relationship between the parent and the child becomes strained, 
the child will leverage issues against the parent that they know the parent fears. Okay? You see how you're putting pieces together? You see how that works? Okay? I've, I've heard teens say things like, well, if my mom and dad could see me now. Right? They're doing all these things that mom and dad never approved of. Okay? They're smoking marijuana, and they're drinking, and going to parties, and they're getting tattoos, and they're doing all these things. Um, my mom and dad could see me now. And, and whenever, I, whenever they tell me that, right, because they're, they're, they're always trying to get their therapist on their side, right? That's, that's typically the, what happens in counseling, okay? And uh, I always usually respond the same way. Um, isn't it fascinating how you hate your mom and dad and they're still controlling you? Isn't that wild? Like, here you are. What, 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 what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, I mean, here you are. Right? You're living your life, but you're not really living your life. They're kind of living rent-free in your head, and they're kind of working you like you're some kind of machine. Are you doing those things because you want to do those things, or are you doing those things because you're going to show mom and dad what for? Right? You see? Okay? So be careful about how you convey information to your team. What you want to do is you want to convey to your teen, hey, I do love you, I do care about you, I do want the best for you, but ultimately this is your life, and you need to care about it infinitely more than I do. That, friends, instills a serious sense of responsibility in teens. Because that's ultimately what you want too. You want them to take on, there's that freedom and responsibility that I talked about earlier, right? You want them to take on the responsibility of their own life. You get one shot at it, kid. We've all made some, we're adults here, right? We've all made some pretty serious mistakes that we look back on and go, oof, boy, that was costly. We want them to avoid that. That's why the book of Proverbs was written. Most theologians and historians agree that, that King Solomon wrote, he didn't write all of Proverbs, but he wrote most of it, overwhelmingly, and most theologians uh, agree that King Solomon's son was right around about 12. And he's writing to his son, who's, who's going to be an adult, and he's saying, hey son, I have figured some things out in life, and if you can figure these out at your age, you're going to be way ahead of the game. Here's some general principles that are going to be helpful for you. That's what Proverbs is. As it turns out, friends, God's a pretty smart guy. And it would be beneficial for you to follow his lead. If God wrote that and said, hey, this is a pretty effective way to communicate with teenagers, that's probably a pretty effective way to communicate with teenagers. Okay, okay. so let's take a look. Let's look at some slides here. Um, let's take a look at uh, slide one. Uh, this is from the uh, IFS. This is the Institute for Family Studies. Uh, this is a very uh, conservative uh, website. Let's see kind of what, what, what's at stake here. Um, well, uh, 
you know, you don't, ha you don't have to have a, a graduate degree in research design to understand that graph, do you? Now that, that doesn't look promising. Um, yeah, long about, looks like about 2007, um, suicide among ages uh, 12 to 17 year olds just kind of skyrocketed. Now you're going to notice a pattern in this. Help your teen with pattern recognition. Pattern recognition is one of the most important skills that you can ever help your teen develop. Okay? If we were talking about younger kids, uh, if we were talking about that uh, four to ten-year-old age, gr age group, or maybe even, you know, uh, three, to, three to seven, well, what's the most important skill that they need to develop then? You need to help your child develop the skill of being as likable as is biblically appropriate. Well, why is that? Well, because what's going to happen is um, life isn't about me. Life is about we. Okay? There's, there's, there's a collective aspect to life. And your kid's going to go to kindergarten class, and if they have developed a high emotional intelligence or you've help, you're helping them develop that along the way, then kids are going to want them to be a part of their group. And then as they grow up, kids are going to want them to be part of the team. And, hey, you should join band or you should join the chess club or whatever they're good at, right? Um, and then uh, they're, they're going to grow up and they're going to graduate and they're going to go to either a trade school or a college. And then um, some employer, they're going to get a job and some employer is going to go, hey, I, I want you to be part of my team now. See how that works? Very, very important. Now, we don't sacrifice our Christian morals and ethics in the process, but that's an important thing for young kids. Okay? Um, for teens, pattern recognition. What is pattern recognition? Pattern recognition is the book of Daniel. Read the handwriting on the wall. I constantly find myself in a terrible spot. I just don't know what to do about it. Well, if you find yourself in a pit, the first thing you should do is stop digging. Okay? So, all right. So that's not a really good slide. Maybe somebody else. Slide number two. Maybe uh, USA Today. So it's not quite so conservative. Sometimes conservatives, whether either politically or religiously, sometimes they're a little bit given to fear. Let's see. Let's, let's, let's stray a little bit more on the, onto the, the liberal side of things. Maybe there's some different data there. There's USA Today. Well, shoot, that doesn't look promising. Um, so among white teens uh, from 2006 to 2016, uh, there was a 70% increase uh, in suicide. And uh, among black teens, there was a 77% increase. Um, whew, okay, well, that's not positive. Slide three, maybe Vox has something different to say about that. Um, uh, there's some suicide rates. Now, you're going, to notice, you're going to notice a pattern here that right around uh, 2012, uh, things tend to take off. Well, why 2012? 2012, friends, was when smartphone ownership among teen, the teenage age demographic hit 51%. Okay? There's a direct link between tech use and suicide rates. It is direct. It does not matter where you go to get the data. Okay, slide number four. What about the New York Post? Hmm, well, the number of teens who, quote, don't enjoy life has doubled 
with social media. Now, there's an interesting note here. Um, this, this is kind of fascinating. Uh, even, even they kind of sheepishly uh, have admitted, like, well, this data is really low. Okay? Note. 2020 data was collected in February and early March, before schools shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic. So what, the, what, what, what are they saying? It's much higher, but here's what it was prior to COVID. Okay? Mm. All right. Number five. Okay, well, that's the New York Post. What about The Economist? Uh, okay, well, wow. Um, that's not good. Uh, teens age 10 to 19, for females, that is uh, on the rise. Like, wow, okay, that's, that's not good. And you can see some of these markers, right? Um, Instagram was founded right here, okay? Uh, all kinds of, all kinds, this is COVID, this, that other gray vertical line. Bad news there. Okay, well, we'll keep marching on. Uh, slide number six, this is the Guardian. Are smartphones causing more teen suicide? Well, increases in depression and suicide uh, appeared among teens in 2012. Well, there's that 2012, that rascally date, I tell you. Uh, the same time smartphone ownership became the norm. Well, probably nothing. All right, here we go again. Slide number seven. This business insider, I'm kind of running through these quickly. You know, I think you guys are getting the, getting the trend. Uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs raised their kids with limited tech. Actually, uh, that, that is a misnomer. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates, who are now divorced, but Bill and Melinda Gates when they were married, and uh, Steve Jobs voted, or not voted, but um, raised their kids with no tech. Uh, and in fact, the, this book is back there on the resource table. Uh, this book right here, Glow Kids, this, if you are a parent, this is required reading. This is the most clinically significant book I have read in the past decade. This man, uh, Dr. Nicholas Cataras, he, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, Cadaras maybe, I don't know, um, Really good. He has a, a clinic. He's a, he's a counselor. He has a clinic in New York State, a very high-end clinic where he deals with a lot of tech addiction. And a lot of the data and information in here is written in a very, very readable format. And it is absolutely wild. There are kids who are so far gone down the tech rabbit hole that they cannot determine or discern between what's the real world and what's not. I, I didn't put it on here, but in, in doing research for this presentation, I came across another uh, article where the average uh, uh, child who is uh, uh, actively participating in screen time is up nine hours a day. Now, that's school, that's, you know, leisure time, that's video games, that's whatever, nine hours a day. That's insane. Crying out loud, okay? Now, here, here's a little excerpt from this book. Um, <clears throat> Jobs and Healy, referring to Steve Jobs, okay? 
Jobs and Healy are not alone in their anti-tech in school sentiments. I thought there was a big push for technology use in schools. But not if you're a big dog. Many tech executives and engineers in Silicon Valley put their kids in no-tech Waldorf schools. According to an October 22, 2011 New York Times article, at the Waldorf School on the peninsula in Los Altos, California, the majority of parents work at Google, Apple, or Yahoo, yet these tech-savvy parents insist on no-tech classrooms precisely because they understand technology and its dangers better than most. So wait, let me get this straight. You want my kid to participate in all of this technology, but you don't want your own? Why is that? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because in all of the top schools, graduate schools of psychology, people like me are being siphoned off and go to work not in the mental health field, they go to work in the video game industry. Yep. If you are a video game manufacturer, you have a new game coming online, and what you do is you test that game on willing participants to play the game, and then you have people like me who will determine, okay, I want your uh, atomic stress load to be this, I want your heart rate to be this, I want all these things, like blood pressure, all these things. There are, there are measurable metrics, physiological metrics, that have to be met before we're going to release the game. The Netflix CEO has openly said our only competition is sleep. Okay? You have to know what's at stake if you're going to play the game, friends. These guys are playing for keeps. They're hiring some of the brightest minds in the world to make these video games and make technology as addictive as possible. That's what they're doing. Okay? All right, slide number eight. Well, that's kind of antidotal. That's just news. Maybe there's something uh, in the peer-reviewed research literature that um, states something different. Um, <laughs> not really. Uh, it echoes what, what we've been discussing. Uh, this, is the results by the, or this is a study, and the results there are... are, are listed for you from the uh, NIH, that's the National Institutes of Health, so this is a government-funded study, and I'll kind of uh, interpret this for you. Um, so in simpler terms, what this means is that if we compare teenagers who use smartphones in ways that uh, are dangerous or risky to teens who use smartphones more safely, the risky users are one and a half more times likely to have thoughts of suicide. And you think, well, one and a half times, that's not a big deal. Friends, that's a 150% increase, <laughs> okay? If your vehicle cost one and a half times more than you paid for it, if you paid $30,000 for a vehicle, well, that's a lot of money, okay? Um, additionally, teens who use smartphones in, in high-risk ways are about two and a half times more likely to think about suicide and nearly 1.9 times more likely to actually attempt suicide, OK? 
compared to teenagers who use smartphones in more normal and safe manners. There is a direct link between these two things. Right? Okay. That's what's at stake now that you are sufficiently absolutely terrified. Um, let's, and please don't, please don't be terrified, but again, you need to know what's at stake. Now let's look at some more proactive measures on how we can win. Okay? What, what are the rules of the game? We know what's at stake, now what are the rules? <clears throat> I am taking a lot of this uh, from my own personal clinical experience. Uh, I will, I'm not, I'm just making an observation here, okay, so please don't take this as anything other than it is. Uh, I will have people regularly who will drive or who will fly in from other places to meet with me. And I believe that God has given me a mind to take complex situations and then deconstruct those situations and articulate them back in a manner that people can then understand. And so that's what I spend most of my time doing. Okay? Here's how I have won. Here's how I have found success with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, well, probably thousands of clients who are in this age demographic at this point in my career. Okay? So what I'm telling you is these things work. Right? Can I live without God? That's a big question for teens. Okay? These are layer zero issues. Okay? In other words, there is nothing below them. This is bedrock. This is a huge, huge question that teens ask. And there are two problems that you have to have answers for. Okay? These two questions must be answered if you're going to effectively deal with this issue of suicide and you're going to effectively help your teen train their own appetite for technology use. Okay, you're going to help them instill that responsibility and see the use of it, the, use, the, the, the usefulness of responsibility in their own life. What is the basis for saying something is right or saying something is wrong? I tell people all the time, I don't really care what you're measuring, but I'm intensely concerned with what you're using to measure with. Okay? I had a, uh, a gal come in. Um, I, don't, I don't know why. I was sharing this with all the staff last night. I don't know why, but um, it seems that hipsters absolutely love me. Okay? Um, and so I have a number of, of hipsters. I'm like the most unlikely counselor for these people. Okay? Like I'm like this conservative white guy, right? And, and they just love me. And they come in with all their piercings and their green hair, and they just love meeting with me like week after week after week. And um, oftentimes they'll come in, and I remember on one occasion, uh, one young lady, she's 20, I think she's 22 at the time, and she said, um, <clears throat> I'm bisexual. And I said, um, oh, okay. Okay. Um, is that what you wanted to uh, discuss uh, this morning, or, or was there uh, something else uh, pressing on your mind? Well, right, when, 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 when teens in those 20-something, when they make statements like that, they're fishing for you. Right? How are they going to react? Okay? I didn't take the bait, so she doubled down. 
Do you think that's wrong? Right? Just paint me into a corner. Okay? And I said, um, well, uh, in order to answer that question, we have to answer a preceding question. And the question that I would propose to you is, do you think that there's anything wrong with anything? Friends, I thought she was going to hyperventilate. I had to count her down. She's going to have a panic attack. Well, I, well, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't. And I just said, hey, 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 let's slow down. This is just two adults having a conversation. I am not concerned with what you think is right or wrong. I'm very concerned with what ruler you are using to measure with. I do think that bisexuality is wrong. I address the issue and I do it directly. You, you screw around with the truth at your peril, friends. Don't do it. Okay? I do think bisexuality is wrong. Part of the reason that I think bisexuality is wrong is because I am a Christian, and it's because of what the Bible says about homosexuality and its various mutations. The Bible does not speak positively of homosexuality not one time. But... Another big reason is because by, by their own statistics, there is a 45% suicide rate if you go down the LGBTQ path. That's from the Trevor, you can look this up, that's on the trevorproject.org, okay? That's a very liberal left-leaning website. That's their own standard of measurement. Among the transgender community, it's 70 so I said, I think that's wrong, but the reason that I think that's wrong is because I think that the world is better with you in it. Now, what do you think? You feel the difference? Get them to accept the responsibility of their own life. Okay, engage them in a conversation. I want to have a serious conversation about my sexuality. Deal. Buckle up. If you're going to ask serious questions, I'm going to give you serious answers. Okay, and I'm not going to do it in a careless, flippant, reckless way. Well, you're stupid for thinking that. No, she already views. She's very, very liberal, left-leaning. She already views me as part of the patriarchy, right? And, and, and at that point, all I would be doing is playing right into that hand. Well, here he is, part of the patriarchy, being oppressive again. No, I want to avoid all that. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not about any of that. I'm not about oppressing anybody. I'm about helping people. I'm not going to sacrifice the truth to do it. But I'm, I'm, that's what I'm about. Okay? Work with your team to do that. Okay? What is the basis for saying something is right or saying something is wrong? If teens do not have, if they have this, this broad, groggy, foggy sense of morality without a point of reference, 
they are, they are on a collision course with reality. Because they, they know what they want to do, but they have no idea why. Address the why. Move beyond the question to reach the questioner. Learn to do that. If you say like, well, John, how do I learn to do that? Look at how Christ did it. Right? Woman caught in adultery. Woman gets brought in by all these guys. Hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Well, boys, uh, anybody who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. They all walk away. And what's Jesus say to her? Uh, where's your accusers? Well, they've all left. Huh. You know, I don't condemn you either, but you probably ought to think about not living this way anymore because it kind of got you in this pickle. Have a good day. <laughs> right? Same, the, 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 the uh, woman at the well. Same thing. Same thing. Hey, would you give me a drink of water? I am a Samaritan woman. What in the world are you asking me for a drink of water for? Every time Jewish people said the word Samaritans, they would spit. That's how lowly they thought of the Samaritans. They viewed their dogs better than the Samaritans. Literally. You're asking me for a drink of water? Yeah. And while you're at it, it's the Middle East. It's like 197 degrees outside. Why are you out here in the middle of the day? Oh, I know why you're out here in the middle of the day. Because you're sleeping with everybody's husbands in town, and if you came out here in the morning, in the cool of the morning, with all the other women, they'd throw you in that well. How did you know that? Just a lucky guess. Move beyond the question to reach the questioner. Okay. All right. Um, number two, is life meaningful? There, if there is no meaning in life, life can only, ha or I'm, I'm sorry, um, if there is no meaning in life, life can only have meaning and purpose if life has intrinsic value. Okay? The <clears throat> belief in a world birthed by accident is the foundation for the belief our own life is accidental. And if our own life is accidental, then what is the point to it? Death then becomes preferable to living in a life that is filled with suffering and chaos and destruction. And now you know why kids spend nine hours a day scrolling mindlessly. Okay? All right. <clears throat> um, to help your child successfully overcome these, the, the issue of suicide, they must have a cohesive set of answers for the following four issues. Okay? These four issues um, <clears throat> are, I think, are very, very important, and I always work with um, parents and teens and 20-somethings to um, kind of bring these issues into focus. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, who cares what I do? 
destiny, where am I going? Okay, those are four pivotal, pivotal questions that your team needs to develop a cohesive set of answers for. Okay? All right, managing technology. Next section. <clears throat> one guidelines, one or one guideline rather, rules every single question regarding tech use in your team's life. Relationship. View technology with your, in regards to your teen as a relationship. If your daughter was dating some guy, you would not think it was good if she was spending nine hours a day with him every single day. That's not healthy. Well, technology use is no different. If your son was spending nine hours a day with a girl that he was dating, you'd probably say, son, we, we, we probably need to build some flexibility in there into your schedule. It's not a healthy thing. Do not view technology as good or bad. View technology as powerful. Okay? <clears throat> it would be the equivalent of, <clears throat> you know, uh, <clears throat> for their 16th birthday, you, you give your son or your daughter, when they get their driver's license, you give them a Ferrari. Well, John, that's a terrible idea. Well, why is it a terrible idea? What's a 700 horsepower engine? Like, they're going to wreck it. Oh. But somehow, we don't think this is as powerful. I have a supercomputer that fits in my pocket. It's powerful. It's not good or bad. The same internet that gives us Amazon gives us social media and gives us endless pornography. It's not good or bad. It's powerful. And so you have to, again, there's that, that freedom and responsibility. If, if I'm going to give you the freedom of having this, you have to have some responsibility that goes along with it. Okay? <clears throat> when there's difficulties be with, your, with your teen, be open and honest with your requests. Secrets breed distrust. Okay? Um, legislation can only force compliance. If you make a rule, what I encourage parents to do, if you make a rule surrounding technology, you need to make as many rules as is absolutely necessary and as few as possible. Because when you make a rule, your teen will come to need that rule. That's what happens. Your curfew is at, is at 11 o'clock. And when do they get home? 11.05. Right? Like right around there. <clears throat> Just talk to them. Express your dilemmas openly. Hey, what time is uh, the movie going to be over that you and your friends are going to? I think probably 10.30. Oh, okay, cool. So you're probably going to hang out with your friends for a while after the movie, right? Well, I, yeah, Dad. I mean, I, I was thinking about it. Okay. So... What time do you think you're going to be home? Well, I mean, would it be okay if I came home at like 11 or, you know, 11.15? Okay. Stack the deck in your favor. Don't make parenting more difficult than it needs to be, friends. Don't get in power struggles. You want your team to have as much power as is age appropriate. Why? Because... Begin with the end in mind. 
You want to play the long game. That's what you want to do. You want to produce, like we said in the beginning, you want to produce a, a God-honoring son or daughter. You want them to have that responsibility. It's amazing to me how many times I, I work with parents or teens who the, the parents, man, they just, they, 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 they don't understand that the rules have changed along the way and they're not intimately involved in every single detail of their teen's life anymore. They're just not. But they want to be. That's why they find themselves in conflict. Okay? All right, so express your dilemmas openly. Um, <clears throat> there are so many modern conveniences available to teens today that there exists a kind of a, a curse of comfort. Okay? Help teens, like I've said, that I've said earlier, help teens train their appetite by drawing a line of resistance. When we get together for dinner, phones go away. Something like that. Okay? Start, start small. And, and the, the tendency for people to not start small is they think like, well, I mean, it's, it's just 30 minutes during the dinner table. You know, what, what difference does it make? And, and besides that, it's only 30 minutes, so it's kind of pathetic. In order to implement change in a person's life, a prerequisite is humility. Start small and, and don't, again, set aside that sense of shame. Start small. We have to start somewhere. And be open with your teen on why you're doing it. Okay? All right. Uh, clinical process. This is, we'll, we'll close with this, okay? A clinical process refers to the underlying assumptions and guiding principles a counselor brings to the counseling session. Clinical process differs from clinical content which is concerned with the individual words spoken in the techniques exercise. So here's some things just as we wind down some, again, some general overarching principles as you talk to your teen about technology and as you talk to your spouse about how you guys are going to be on the same page with regards to this issue, here are some principles, okay? The highest form of love is focused attention. Look at teens. Talk to them. Set aside the day-to-day -day distractions and have a meaningful conversation with them. It demonstrates love, not just that you care about them. Okay? You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. The way you say something will determine how it's received. And sometimes we have people out there, and I, I, I get it, and I half-jokingly tell people, you know, when they're in, in counseling sessions with me, uh, they'll say something like, well, I'm just a straight shooter. I just kind of tell how it is, John. Well, we call that a jerk, okay? Um, and yeah, isn't it fascinating? And, and usually, isn't, isn't, and, and, this is, and whenever I say that to, to a parent, um, then they get offended. Well, that, that's kind of hypocritical, don't you think? And, and I usually point it out to them. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You just told me that you're a straight shooter and that you value that. I'm just shooting you straight. What? Now I'm confused. Do you value straight shooting or not? Oh, you value it when you do it, but you don't want to be treated that way. Well, that kind of violates the treat your neighbor as yourself thing, doesn't it? Okay. So again, um, don't be abrasive with people because we don't want people to, 
to treat us that way and talk to us that way. Uh, love is tactful as well as truthful. All right? This is the supreme one of, the supreme Christian ethics, okay? You speak the truth, but you do it in love. If you, I, I said this last night, and, but it bears repeating. If you speak only the truth, it will usually be received as brutality by the listener. Okay? Uh, boy, well, you can talk to John, but oof, you're going to get it. Okay? Conversely, on the other side, if you speak only love, it's usually received as a lie by the listener. You just tell them what they want to hear. And they know it. Okay? The supreme Christian ethic is to meet in the middle and where you're not sacrificing either thing to the greatest extent possible. It's a razor's edge, I understand that, and you're going to fall off on one side or the other from time to time. That's perfectly fine. But just be aware that you're not gravitating toward one extreme or the other. Okay? That's, a, that's an important point. Okay. Final point. Love is understanding, not demanding. One of the greatest tests of your teen's character is going to be how they treat the people around them. And how they're going to learn that primarily in parenting, more is caught than taught, and in it, how they're going to learn that is how you interact with them. And that's what they're going to do, for better or for worse. Okay? So, um, friends, um, be wise as serpents, uh, innocent as doves, and I hope that what I have talked about with you this morning will help you accomplish that. Thank you, guys. Oh, yes. Let's, let's, let's do some, some questions. Okay, now this, I, I do not mind this at all. This is kind of a no-net thing for me. Uh, where I just open it up uh, for questions uh, from people, and I don't, I don't mind any kind of question that you guys might have. So uh, are there any questions that anybody had? Yes, sir. You know, um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I saw that too. And, and I thought, what happened from, yeah, like 94, 95? Yes. Yeah, and. Yes. Yeah, and as, as, I was, as I was doing that, I started to look into it. And um, sometimes I'm, my wife affectionately refers to me sometimes as the absent minded professor because I'll get sidetracked on some rabbit trail and then I'll, I won't even prepare for what I'm supposed to be. So I, I, was, I was trying to like, no, 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 John, leave that alone. Leave that, don't look into that, right? Just, so, but I don't know, but I did notice that trend where there was a rise and then a decline and then it, it, it rose again. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be something to look into. I, I, I think that's an interesting trend too. Absolutely. Yeah, anything? Yes, ma'am. I would work with them the same way, to be honest with you. And 
Um, what, what I tend to see is that uh, if teens are outside of your home, this is actually a really important, I'm glad you asked that. This is a really important uh, uh, issue. If you are a parent of a teen and your teen is not listening to you, do not be afraid to recruit someone who's outside of your home to help your teen. Don't get stuck and wrapped up in your own pride. <laughs> like, well, they're my kid and they need to listen to me. No, duh, 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 duh. It, doesn't have, it doesn't matter how the sausage is made. It matters that it gets made. Okay, so if you have influence in a teen's life who is outside of your home, I would employ these exact same principles. I have, like I said, I, uh, all these clients um, that I work with, I employ these things and I have very, very meaningful conversations. And one of the things that I have found is that teens are looking, friends, for in-depth, meaningful conversations. They're really, that's what they're looking for. Conversations. Not lectures, conversations. But I, I would encourage you, I would, I would use these principles the exact same way um, that, that they were, that they were uh, you know, your, your own kid. Uh-huh, anybody else? Good question. Yes? I would say that that is a highly contextualized issue, okay? We have friends who their kids are relatively young, um, you know, 12-ish, uh, and they are mature enough to handle the responsibility of a smartphone. Now, there's still limitations, okay? There's still guardrails. You can operate between here and here, but you can't go, you know, clear over here. There's still some guardrails there but they're mature enough to do that. You may not have a child who is mature enough to do that. You may know your own son and go, oh man, like if, if my, my son would play video games morning, noon, and night. There is no way on God's green earth I'm giving this kid a smartphone. Like I will never get him off of it. And so that might be a thing that you say, nope, you know, while, while you're in, it might be while you're in our house, no smartphones. And, and you're going to have parents that are going to look at you like you have like a, a, a hand growing out of your forehead or something because your kid doesn't have a smartphone. To that I say, good. I'm not called, we're not called to be like the world. We're called to be different. Well, I'm looking at you like you're different. Oh, I must be doing something right. Fantastic. Yeah, so I would say that that's a, very, that's a great question, but I would say that's a very highly contextualized answer. A lot of times, too, um, <clears throat> what, what people tend to do is they think that the, the complexity of a problem um, needs an equally complex answer. And oftentimes, that's just not the truth. Right? Like, sometimes there's this, like, massive, comp like, uh, if I was in counseling and you know, one of you is my, my, you know, therapist, and, you know, I'm uh, uh, abusive to my wife or something, right? Um, and we could go into, well, why was John abusive, and was he raised in an abusive home, and, you know, all of these factors, right? Lots and lots of different facets to this problem. But at the end of the day, don't you think I just need to stop beating my wife? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know how we're going to get here, but this is what you really need to do, John. 
Okay? So, so don't miss with this issue of technology in teens. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay? Don't think that, okay, well, this problem is massively complex, and I have to formulate this massively complex answer in order to address this massively complex issue. No, you don't. Um, and, and sometimes the, the, the answer, sometimes the answer might be, yeah, uh, there's just, this is molten lava hot, and we're just not going to play around the volcano for right now. Absolutely. Good question. Yeah. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would be, I think that's a very important point. Uh, that would be a very nuanced approach to this, which I think is a good thing. Um, I, in, in counseling, what we try and do is we try and stay away from something called single origin issues or single origin answers. So in other words, um, uh, an example would be that, well, uh, John is the way he is because of X, right? Like that single thing. And so there would be some, some nuance to that. And so I think that, that would be a really good thing. Uh, I think that's where those guardrails could come in very, very handy um, in a person's life. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know of any, um, <clears throat> no, I don't know of any specific research um, about that, but I think that that's a very, very uh, good point is, you know, you, you can kind of, you don't have to cannonball into the technology pool, but you can wade in, <laughs> right, uh, with your teen. And that's, that would be a, a very appropriate way on how to do that. So I think that'd be good. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I think that is 100% the case. Yep. Um, th- this technology use in class. And I was a school counselor, right? And I, I saw, you know, the principal go around to uh, classrooms and, you know, they would uh, basically grade teachers, you know, on their uh, classroom performance. And if there was not technology used in the lesson implementation, that was a, that was a minus. What? That's not what the research bears out at all. Like, why in the world are all these huge tech giants insistent that their kids do not use technology at all? Well, there's something bad going on there. Uh, because again, um, the, the severity of a behavior is directly determined by the knowledge of that behavior. Right? So, we would say like, well, that seems like an extreme stance for Steve Jobs to take and Bill Gates to take, who are two massive tech giants. Uh, That's rather extreme. What do they know we don't? So yeah, I would say, um, and I think that that is part and parcel um, why the uh, homeschool movement really kicked off uh, during COVID is because parents saw all the kids went home and they're virtual, and all the parents saw what was going on, 
um, not only with like the woke you know nonsense, but also uh, with tech use and all these other things. And they just said, no, whoa, 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 time out, hold on, uh, we we can't do that. Okay, you cannot expect to send your children to Caesar, and then when they come back, they're Roman citizens, and you're, you wonder how that happened. Okay. Um, well, that's how that happened. Um, so yeah, I think that they're, I think that's absolutely the case. So, yep. You talked about using smartphones safely versus using them high risk. Um, is Global the resource that would have those specifications in it, of like what's what? Yes. Um, High-risk behavior would be um, like engaged in uh, bullying, um, oh, chat rooms that are completely inappropriate, right? I mean, the, 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 the internet is kind of like a, a digital wild west, really. Um, and again, um, if, you're, if your teen is not, if you're not setting your teen up for success, that could have some very, very dire consequences very, very quickly. Um, yeah, so, but Glow Kids is a, like, like I said, that's a great, great, great resource. And he's pretty much kind of the, from what I have found, um, uh, Nicholas would be the kind of the, the go-to guy on that. Done a ton, a ton of research in that. So, yeah, good question. Yes, sir. Boy, I'm sure that's out there. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I'm sure that it's out there, and I'm sure that it does. Um, but I don't know of any off. I don't know of any uh, clinical research data off the top of my head. I do know that one of the things that we saw um, in COVID early on. So one of the when I say we, um, a peace partnership. So one of the things that we do at Peace Partnership is we volunteer our time back to school districts and we partner with schools and then we work with their at-risk uh, student population uh, and we do a counseling session a week for the entire school year for free, okay? And we're in six schools in two different districts right now and um, one of the things that we saw particularly, it, it, it really came to rise during uh, COVID, was uh, the this developmental issue that you, that you touched on, that you spoke on, is that that got set back exponentially um, in various different areas. Speech and language delays are up 300%. Okay? Um, kids, kids, kids lost entire grade levels of learning. Like, th this, was, this was absolutely catastrophic. And it's very frustrating for kind of a, a data person um, because the data is skewed, <laughs> right? And I think that it was done intentionally so because it was so catastrophic, they really don't want to admit how catastrophic it really was, just in that, in that educational sphere. I would walk down the hallway um, at a, a school that, that we're in. I would walk down this long hallway and there's classrooms, right, off of this hallway. And in one of the classrooms, I walked down, and of course, you know, during the height of the COVID um, 
mass formation psychosis is really what it was, <laughs> the COVID madness. Um, I, would look in, I would look in a classroom, and desks are six feet apart this way, six feet apart this way, right? And here's what I saw. As I, I, I just happened to see this. I walked by. There were some crayons. It was a second grade classroom. There were some uh, third, excuse me, third grade class. There were some crayons that rolled off of a student's desk and onto the floor. And the student next to them went to pick them up and hand them to their classmate and was immediately reprimanded by the teacher. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't touch that. You see the implications immediately, right? Don't help your neighbor. You could die. What? Where is that going to lead? Big things have very, very small beginnings. So I, I think that there's, I, I would say that there is absolutely some uh, research surrounding that, um, but I don't know quite what it is. I, I don't know the specifics of it. Good question. Anybody else? Yes, sir. No, uh, interestingly, uh, in that regard, it is pretty even across the board. It varies a little bit, but I would say that it wouldn't be statistically significant enough uh, in, in its variation. We, what we do know is that social media in general, whether it be Instagram or TikTok or what have you, uh, Facebook, um, Snapchat's a big one uh, for teens, um, Instagram, or, I'm sorry, uh, social media as a whole is just very, very destructive developmentally. And part of the reason for that is, is because when, when, you know, some of us graduated high school and social media wasn't a thing, well, if something bad was going on with a friend or something at school, you just went home and you could get away from it. Not now. Not now. And I, I always try and give a voice. This is a point of connection and contact with teenagers today. They are growing up in a different time, friends. Uh, they're, they're growing up in a much more complicated, much more complex environment than, than I did. I graduated high school in 94, okay? I, that, that was so long ago. I, I, in in uh, my senior, 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 junior year, I can't remember which, uh, I got the choice between uh, typing and a computing class because we weren't really sure if this whole computer thing was going to take off, okay? <laughs> Turns out it did. So... That's, that's where I was in all of that. None of this was, this, the, the digital landscape was completely, well, it was non-existent back then. Um, but we do know that social media um, is really, really destructive. There, and there's a, um, oh, I think it's on Netflix of all places, um, The Social Dilemma. That's a good thing to watch. Um, they know, tech executives know that, uh, social media is destroying um, relational fabric in our country. They, they admit to it. They know. Uh, and when pressed on, well, um, in, its, in its extreme form, where could this lead? 
uh, and one, he was a former, uh, I think he was a Twitter CEO, it wasn't Jack Dorsey, but someone else. Uh, he, he, he didn't even hesitate, he said, civil war. That seems extreme, right? But these are people in the know. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, yes, what, what I tend to tell parents is um, if, if, if your teen is managing the technology, or in this case the gaming, if your teen is managing the gaming, it's not a problem. But if the technology or the gaming is managing your teen, it's becoming a problem. And sometimes, again, that's a highly contextualized question. It depends on the kid. You could have a child that has a compulsive core belief or a perfectionistic core belief. Perfectionistic core beliefs are very, very given to addictive tendencies very easily. And so for that child, gaming is like, no, hard no, forget it. Uh, you will fall down a rabbit hole and never come out. Whereas you could have um, uh, you know, a different teen who has either a compliant or a people-pleasing core belief uh, or they have a controlling core belief because controllers, by the very nature of who they are, don't like being controlled. <laughs> they like to control other stuff. <laughs> they don't like stuff controlling them. And so they could be fine, right? So I, I would say it, 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 it is determined quite a bit on uh, the child itself, but I would just, um, I encourage parents to take an active role in that process and then realize that your decision is subject to update, right? At any point in time, and teenagers, sometimes they have a cow about that. And they're like, oh, my mom lied to me, or, you know, my dad's, you know, being a hypocrite, or, you know, whatever. Well, no, I just changed my mind. Like, that's, that's, that's what happened. Um, I, I said this yesterday, so we'll, we'll again, I'm, I'll, I'll say this to demonstrate the, um, the utility and the usefulness of Scripture from a psychological standpoint. So with regards to this issue, um, you can look at the, uh, the Star of Bethlehem. Okay? So um, the angel of the Lord appears to these wise men, and um, that, <laughs> that freaked them out. And uh, that, the, 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 the angel says, uh, hey, you see that over there? Uh, yeah, that star, you need to follow that star. And the wise men said, um, okay. The psychological significance of that for your teen is that the star to the wise men represents that thing that is most important to them at that point in their life. And then they followed it. But something very fascinating in the text happens. It says that as they followed the star, the star moved ahead of them. Well, that begs some questions. When do we see stars? When it's dark. Well, do you think walking in the desert at night is easy? No. So as you follow that thing that is most important to you, which collectively that would be parenting, 
as you follow that, you can be assured that this is going to be a difficult, a difficult go. But it gets easier as you do it. Okay? And it's not because, it's not because your path becomes less dark. That's not why. It becomes, it's because you become more proficient at walking in the dark. And then as you walk in the dark and as you're following that star, then you realize you get to a place in life where you thought you needed to be and you realize, and the star has moved. And you think like, oh, I, it's okay for you to use video games. And then you get to that place six months or a year down the road where you realize it's not okay for you to use video games and the star has moved. And so then you reorient yourself and you say, oh, okay, um, I thought that this was a good path for you. Um, but sweetie, I was wrong. Uh, and it's because I love you that I'm changing, I'm changing course on you. Oh, that's, mom, that's not cool. I understand how you can think that. Does that answer your question? Okay. Okay, good stuff. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, what I tend to do uh, is I tend to work with, with teens about, hey, um, do you see the problematic nature of this in their life, or in, in your life? I do not say, do you think this is a problem in your life, <laughs> okay? Because they'll say, well, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I love gaming and gaming loves me. Um, that's, that's what they're gonna say, okay? So what I tend to do is I tend to say, okay, um, I, I assume problems, okay? This is a problematic aspect of your life. What do you think we can do about it? And if they are, do not possess the critical thinking skills to navigate that conversation successfully, what I tend to do is then kind of take over the reins, right? I, I, I give them some freedom to say, hey, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to act responsibly with this? And if the, in, during the course of conversation, if I become convinced, like, okay, you, you are not going to be responsible with this, then I take the reins back. And then I say, okay, um, it's not a problem. I think that you have, that this is problematic in your life because you have some addictive tendencies. And just shoot them straight. Shoot them straight. Uh, teenagers and, and up to that like late 20, early 30-something, friends, the mainstream, they, grow, they have grown up in the age of disinformation. And the mainstream media is so dead to them that it's like it didn't even exist. Right? What are they looking for? They're looking for people to shoot them straight. They're looking for the truth. Now, they're going to disagree with it, but, you know, if you say, like, hey, you have some addictive tendencies. No, I don't. What are you talking about? Well, you're 15, so what do you know, okay? Um, and it's not like you don't know anything, but you certainly don't know the complexities and nuances of that. It's the same thing. We'll get off on a, this is a little rabbit trail for me, okay? Here's my ADHD. Um, 
It would be equivalent, this, this game use, it would be the equivalent of saying like, well, uh, I'm going to allow my teen to um, find their own path to God. And we're not going to require our teen to go to church while they're living in our house. Well, that's naive and ridiculous. But you... you don't know, do, do you know the link between the hypostatic union and its importance in missions? Ruh row, I don't see a lot of hands, okay? So you have not worked out all the nuances of your Christian faith, and you're going to hand your child over to navigate the wonderful world of religion on their own? <laughs> They're not going to do that, okay? You're setting them up for failure, okay? So take a path. And then commit to it. No, while you're in this house, we go to church. Well, I'm not going to go to church. Things are going to get very bad for you very quickly. Well, how, what, what, what's that supposed to mean? Don't you worry about it. Your mom and I will talk about it. We'll worry about it. I'll put some serious thought into this. You bet. So that's my rabbit trail. We're in the weeds. Let's get back. Okay, so with regards to that, what, what I would say is I would, have, I would start off with a conversation with them and see if they are willing to embrace any kind of responsibility and could kind of train their own appetite with that. And if they're not, then I would say, okay, I'm going to have to put some guardrails uh, in your life surrounding this topic. And again, I just have that conversation about you have some addictive tendencies and it's not necessarily, having addictive tendencies isn't necessarily the problem. It's that you gravitate towards things that are problematic. Why aren't you addicted to reading your Bible? Isn't it fascinating that uh, things that are bad for us, we call those addictions and we just don't have control over them, but things that are good for us that we do all the time, we have control over that and that's not an addiction, that's just a habit. I can stop that anytime. <laughs> right? So just get them, it, it, it's okay if you have addictive traits. Another way to say that would be, well, I just really fixate on things and I become very, very focused on things. I have addictive tendencies. But what I have learned to do is I have learned to say, okay, I need to channel that and, and, and guide that in a direction that is going to be helpful, not destructive. So. Okay, anyone else? Okay. Guys, thank you very much. Thanks.